3: hello and welcome to i know dino the The big big dinosaur dinosaur podcast, podcast where we cover news interviews and discussions of all
0: things
4: dinosaur
0: hello and welcome to i know dino i'm garrett
1: and i'm sabrina
0: this week we have an interview with the team behind saurian a bunch of dinosaur news and our dinosaur of the day is city potty and we want to give a big thank you to all of our patrons the support we get through Patreon is really great, and we've been getting lots of good comments. We've been posting links to the show notes and the recordings there, so if you want to follow our progress or see what we have to offer if you become a patron, or if you already are a patron, thank you very much, <laughs> <laughs> and you can interact with us by going to patreon.com slash I Know Dino.
1: Yeah, make us feel loved, and thank you to those who do.
0: So starting out with the interview, we'll just jump right in.
1: Today we've got with us developers from the Saurian game, and Saurian is an open-world survival game that is both beautiful and scientifically accurate. And in this game, you play as one of four dinosaurs, Dakota Raptor, Pachycephalosaurus, Tyrannosaurus, or Triceratops, and you must survive from hatchling to adult in the Hell Creek ecosystem. Each life stage comes with new challenges, all while managing physical needs and avoiding predators and natural hazards. We first interviewed the teen in our episode 43, and now after three years of development, they're running a successful Kickstarter campaign in order to get their game out into the world. They've already reached more than their initial goal of 55,000. More than 4,200 backers have already pledged over 150,000, including us. And the project will be funded on Thursday, June 23rd at 1249 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time.
0: Very precise.
1: Well, I yeah. thought I thought it was interesting <laughs> that it was that precise on Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> they like to keep track of these things.
1: <laughs> they do. Last thing, they've reached a number of stretch goals, including genetic variation skins, spectator mode, character customization, dynamic environment events, post-impact survival, and new playable dinosaurs. And it looks like you've just reached the multiplayer stretch goal.
3: Yeah, we, we hit multiplayer this today.
5: This morning. May, may God have mercy on our souls. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please.
1: You guys have come a long way. It's awesome
3: yeah <laughs> um so with uh, with me today we have alejandra who's one of our programmers she's handling like player control right now how the dinosaurs move um from the player's perspective jack is kind of a tech artist he can do just about anything if we tell him to do it and uh jake and is continue our... to tell me
5: until yes. i actually do it yeah
3: <laughs> and uh jake Bardsey is our 3d modeler he's responsible for, for like 99% of the things in game right now
4: i mean i think there isn't a single thing in the kickstarter trailer that i didn't do as far as <laughs> like the, the gameplay stuff and that, that's, humble brag of, yeah, humble yeah. Brag. that's not uh, even no. a
3: humble brag that's just brag. <laughs> straight brag yeah. yeah
6: i'm giving you an logic take it
3: <laughs> um and henry's our ai programmer
6: so how many
1: people are you up to now
3: we're up to 15 people who are involved in some capacity or another including Jerry.
1: Jerry's awesome. We got some questions about Jerry.
3: <laughs> uh, so Brian's uh, internet doesn't work very well, so he has a hard time with Skype. So we can do our best, but the, the emu master is not here.
1: Uh-huh.
3: I think it's a simple question. It's
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we know Sorian's a passion project. How does it feel to have so much public support?
3: It feels really, really good, at least for me, because until you actually finally put something out there for people to react to and fund. You're never quite sure if you've really nailed, you know, the public's mood. You're never quite sure how many people are actually behind you. And having, you know, 4,400 plus people who have pledged to it now is awesome.
6: It is amazingly overwhelming. Since the Kickstarter launch, I've been between out of my mind, happy and just crying. (laughs) Because we had so such a good response from like fans, like we reached our goal within two days, and we didn't like we don't have like a big uh you know marketing team or whatever. We basically just put it out for our fans, the people that have been following us for years, and these people made it happen. I have no idea how they did it, but they made it happen. We had like two thousand backers in the first three days.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been at this for a while, and you do all kinds of engagement stuff. Like your live streams are awesome.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, I hope you aren't watching those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I watched the condensed version. <laughs>
4: okay, okay. <laughs> we, we we did a weird. yeah, we did a twenty-four hour live stream. At least I I did one. When was that? Was that a week ago <laughs> now? Yes, that
6: was Monday. Monday yeah, it would be Monday, Monday
4: now. And we yeah, needless to say, we're up for twenty-four hours. Everyone was a bit loopy.
1: <laughs> so are you guys able to work on this all full time now or?
2: I've quit one of my jobs so far. So that's the plan for me
3: starting at the end of the Kickstarter. Awesome. I think one of the first things we're going to do once the Kickstarter concludes is we're going to have to go back and kind of rehash just about everything we had planned to do. And and sort of reassign you know, funding here and funding there because we just have so much more to work with now than I think we even ever expected we would so it's it's good problems yeah yeah
1: definitely so which stretch goal are you most excited to have reached depends on what you
5: mean by excited (laughs) uh in terms of like general heart rate and cortisol like release of adrenaline it's the multiplayer uh, at least for yeah yes but You know, in terms of of pleasant, excited feeling, (laughs) for me, it would be like the the genetic variant
0: skins. Oh, yeah, that's a cool one. You have, what are the different ones? There's like an albino one, and are there, have you released what the different ones were going to be yet?
3: Um, At at this point, we're looking at doing at least um, albino, melanistic, and piebald animals. Mostly because those three are ones you can actually find, even if it's really rarely in the natural world. And there's one or two others that we're toying with at this point. But at least those three will be available. What were the
0: last two you mentioned? I didn't recognize those.
3: Melanistic, which is animals that have excess pigment, like black panthers, are just melanistic leopards or jaguars. And the third one is an animal, a piebald animal, has actually like blotches of skin on their body that are Without pigment, they they're white, but they're sort of like these weird, very precise edges on another white, otherwise like patterned animal.
0: Oh, that sounds cool.
3: Yeah, and what's kind of neat about genetic skins is that it's our intent to have them actually have an influence on how you play. In the wild, many animals that are albino have a more difficult time finding mates because. Uh, other members of their species kind of aren't entirely sure how to react to an animal that looks as different as an albino does. And they're also much more visible unless you like live in the Arctic or something like that. Mm-hmm. An albino animal in the middle of a of a forest kind of stands out quite a bit. So anyone wanting to play as an albino is going to have a bigger challenge on their hand.
0: It's like wearing hunting camo like bright
3: orange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little bit, Yeah. <laughs> Except in this case, the deer can see better than you can, so. Yeah. (laughs) So
0: last time that we talked, you were talking about Akiro Raptor, and you were kind of hinting about Dakota Raptor, which is... Yeah.
6: (laughs) Oh my god,
1: I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. I was so excited when that came out. (laughs)
3: Yeah, they, they didn't really like me for a long time because... <laughs>
6: because we were dangling it in front of our faces <laughs> and you reveled in the fact that you knew something that none of us did. And yeah, you, every yeah. chance you got, was... you like, no guys, this, this new dinosaur is going to be great.
2: There is was a graceful and an ungraceful way to do that. And you were very much on the ungraceful <laughs> side of it.
0: And Alejandra was talking about how much she liked Akira Raptor. And I was thinking, like, how did she react to now it being switched, I guess, to Dakota Raptor? Or is that basically what you did? Or did you make a lot of changes to go along with it?
6: Not that many changes had to be made uh, because the way it's programmed, like, in, in terms of setting it up as a playable, and I love Acar- raptor but I also love raptor because it's like a big fluffy Akaroraptor, it's, it's great, it's all good things.
3: I actually found out about Dakota raptor a couple months before it was published, and I was sworn to secrecy by the person who told me to the extent that i couldn't even tell other people about it and needless to say it's a little frustrating on my end and i may have taken out that frustration by dangling it in front of other people uh, so <laughs> he is but the I worst mean, kind of person to have secrets i am <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, once it was public, I mean, I think that was one of those, I think, if you guys read the blog post we put up, you know, that's that's a direct quote from Henry when we told him what it was. Like, that's <laughs> unadulterated Henry, just, Dakota Raptor, Dakota Raptor, Dakota Raptor. <laughs> yeah, I was freaking out. <laughs> yeah, as soon as I heard about that
0: dinosaur, I was like, this is maybe the coolest dinosaur I've ever seen.
3: It is really, really, really cool just because of how essentially mysterious and absent it's been from the fossil record up until this point. And one of the things that has kind of started to come out now that the Cotiraptor has been published is that there probably are little bits and pieces of it that have been known for a significant amount of time. They just have never been identified as belonging to a large dromaeosaur. Apparently there are even some teeth that are from a formation in Canada that's about Fifteen to twenty million years older than the Hell Creek formation that has teeth that are very close of those that were assigned to Dakota Raptor, so this animal and its ancestral stock may just be a very rare part of late Cretaceous North American dinosaur faunas and has just been unknown until now, which is even cooler
0: yeah, that's really neat, so I know you were saying that the Akira Raptor could go about 15 miles an hour, but I've read some stuff about Dakota Raptor that it might have been really fast. Is that how it's going to be in your game? Is it going to be like faster than a T-Rex or have you decided yet?
3: It's not necessarily just a matter of what we decide in the sense that we've animated the Dakota Raptor. It can run around on its own. When we first did it, I think Brian got it up to something about like 30, 35 miles an hour, I think is what he managed to get it running at where it looked like it was still believable. Wow. And we sent that animation off to John Hutchinson, who's a expert in animal locomotion. He's been the person that we've gone to when we had questions about like um, our Tyrannosaur locomotion or our um, triceratops or any of those other animals. And he looked at it and he thought, you know, I think this animal is still taking too rapid of strides it's still it's still moving too fast for an animal that's you know bigger than an ostrich and he suggested that we slow down its, its stride length maybe shorten its stride length a little bit and what we wound up with is an animal that's running at about 29 to 30 miles an hour and it's just slower than what we have our subadult tyrannosaur running at right now wow and i think that's one of the things that's that's interesting about Dakota Raptors. it's definitely built more like an animal, a, a small dromeosaur, basically, something more akin to like um or or some of these other small, lightly built dromeosaurs. The only difference is that it's big. And despite that, it still has those real dromeosaur characteristics of, you know, relatively, probably has really short foot bones because it's also going to have to use its feet as part of its predatory technique, I guess you can say. And that probably means that Dakota was capable of moving quickly but it's nowhere near capable of running for distance the way like a tyrannosaur or an ornithomimid might be able to so it's it's kind of this neat little sprinter that it's going to be fast over short distances but it's not going to outrun something like jane the tyrannosaurus because her legs just go on forever and (laughs) uh if you ever get a chance to check out brian brian set up a scene that he shows in his live streams from time to time where he basically has all the animals racing each other and you look at how fast Dakota Raptor is running, and you look how fast Jane is running. Jane doesn't look like she requires anywhere near as much energy to maintain her speed as it takes Dakota Raptor to. So but
6: Jane has leg for legs. It's great. She's <laughs> so leggy. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome.
0: <laughs> Are there any other dinosaur abilities or anything that you'd like to share?
3: What's kind of really cool is that we've also one of the other aspects of. Dakota raptor that we also were planning to do with a Raptor is climbing. And climbing in Dakota raptor is something that's unlike what we kind of showed in the in the trailers, like we're really going to try and emphasize that it's young Dakota raptors that are capable of climbing or you know, are really good at climbing. And the adults maybe only climb rarely just because it's still talking about an animal that's probably 200 kilograms plus hoisting itself into a tree. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about it is that we know from the shape of uh, dromaeosaur claws that they're perfectly built for hooking into something and, and supporting weight. And they're sort of like climbing crampons in that sense. And it's been argued for quite a while that dromaeosaurs do not have a whole lot of physical characteristics of a climbing animal. But this claw might be something that indicated that even if they're not well designed to do it, they were still capable of climbing. Cool. And since Dakota Raptors are the first dinosaur that people are going to be able to play as, we, it's kind of cool to hype it up. And there there are a couple other abilities that are coming with some of the other animals that I think will be kind of nice surprises. So Awesome.
0: Well, we'll let people get surprised by those then. <laughs> <laughs> so last time, too, you were talking about there was a little dinosaur, or not a no, dinosaur, a little lizard that was running around that you were trying to chase. Oh, Do yeah. you still have that thing running around and
2: hiding and...
4: Henry, it's it's your baby. It's impossible to see.
2: Oh, sc- scuttlebuns, chamos. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. I mean, he still exists in the project. We didn't put him in any of our recent builds just because he's almost impossible to see. It's so hard to find it. It's it's something that you're really only going to be able to see as the younger stages, I think. Yeah, and even then, yeah. it's going to be really difficult.
0: So it's almost like an Easter egg or something.
3: I mean, it's not that. It's just that you know it, it's so small and there's enough foliage that it's really hard to, see, hard to, see hard to a catch. Tiny lizard. Yeah. Jam Ops is actually kind of a really good lesson for us in like the limitations of what you can do when you're making a game where the size of the animals you're playing as varies from something that's, you know, the size of a human to something that's the size of a bus. We've kind of made Jam Ops basically our de facto nothing in the game really can be smaller than this. Because Jam Ops by itself is already difficult to encounter to the point that I think we ran around in a map that was like barely foliated and it and it lost us quite easily. Hmm. So, you know, to continue to have ChamOps, ChamOps is obviously not going anywhere. He's going to continue to be a part of the game. But we may have to kind of get a little bit creative about how players perceive some things around them to, to actually just sort of make ChamOps visible in many cases. But essentially nothing nothing in the game is going to be smaller than ChamOps. ChamOps is somewhere between 60 and 80 centimeters in total length. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's pretty small if you're a (laughs) T-Rex.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Like barely bigger than your teeth.
0: (laughs) Okay, so then I got to get to the biggest question that I have. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) You have the goal for the new dinosaurs, and you said you're going to do one herbivore and one carnivore, and it's going to get voted on by backers. And I saw a couple of days ago you put on an Anatosaurus slash Edmontosaurus depending who you ask, and Anzu Wiley and an Ankylosaurus, which is my personal favorite dinosaur. (laughs) I'm assuming those are all herbivores, or is Anzu going to be a carnivore? And then do you have any idea which carnivores you're going to be putting in for the vote?
3: Well, I think we were a little bit hasty when we made that initial statement. What we're looking at doing right now is actually something where we're looking at including one herbivore and one omnivore, just because the other carnivore options in Hell Creek that we know of at this point are like a Ceroraptor who's already kind of really pushing the small end of things if you're gonna make it a, a three or four life stage playable. And beyond that, most of the other animals that are comparable to it are, you know, of about the same size. After you get through growth stages of Tyrannosaurus and Dakota they really have You know, like large predator, medium sized predator niche pretty well locked up. And so, what we've looked at is instead of a herbivore and a carnivore, we're going to offer people a choice between an herbivore and an omnivore.
0: Okay. So, Anzu will be one of the omnivores most likely?
3: Yes. The other animal that we're looking at strongly for a potential omnivore would be uh, the Hell Creek Ornithomimid. And there's not a whole lot of agreement as to whether or not it's properly called Ornithomimus or Struthiomimus, or if it might be something else altogether. North American Ornithomimids are really in need of like somebody to just make it like their doctoral thesis or something. Just go through all of them and and see exactly who's related to whom. Mm-hmm. If it does turn out the Hell Creek Ornithomimid is not Struthiomimus or Ornithomimus, we we have a name that's ready for lobbying though. So. <laughs> a while back when Jake first sculpted the Ornithomimid, we sort of threw out the idea of the name of like Dinornithomimus, and it's it's a little bit of a dumb joke because you can kinda of take two different meanings out of that. One of the genus names for Moas is Dinornis. So you could say Dinornithomimus is a Moa mimic. <laughs> So the other one you could do is if you if you treat it the same as the same root as dinosaur, so it's dino you could have it be like terrible bird mimic. <laughs> the other root meaning of, of dinos can be like fearfully great or awesome. So it's either the terrible bird mimic or the awesome bird mimic. But that's kind of like neither here or there. Somebody has to study it and decide, yes, this is actually something different. And if they do, we have a name ready for them. <laughs> that's good. good.
1: You mentioned before you've Jane is the tyrannosaurus. Do all of the playable dinosaurs have have you named them personally yet?
3: Not yet. The tyrannosaurs in particular all have names because for whatever reason, tyrannosaurs are just sort of so popular that everyone seems to think they all need names. So <laughs> you know, who knew? Right now we have kind of like little code names for them. The smallest one is Chomper, because it's based off of a specimen at the Museum of the Rockies called Chomper. The juvenile is, uh, we've called it Jordan because it's based on the juvenile specimen at the Los Angeles County Museum, which was found in Jordan, Montana. And before it was named, was called the Jordan theropod. And then there's Jane. And Stan. And Stan is is the adult that we based our sculpt off of. And we haven't really gotten around to making too many of the other growth stages yet. We haven't really picked out names for like the trike growth stages other than the little one is ugly. (laughs)
6: <laughs> I wanna take I wanna take this moment to put forward uh, calling the adult the color Raptor Bob. Bob. <laughs> yes, it's Bob. I'm down.
5: I, th- we'll I t- think we'll take we only take really named consideration.
4: Yeah, we only really named the T Rex ones just because uh, it was what everyone knew them by. Like the subadults, just Jane. It's the it's the specimen name. Um, it's kind of a popular one, but like there's none of that for the other ones, so we're just gonna probably call them subadult. <laughs>
0: Spoken like a true engineer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> With Pachycephalosaurus, though, we could probably, because, you know, Pachycephalosaurus is pretty well agreed upon in the scientific community now to have what was formerly known as Draco-Rex and Stygimoloch are just the juvenile and sub-adult growth stages of Pachycephalosaurus. So that's another case where we kind of have names for them, but we haven't really used them yet because ours is still in the works. So We, we based our Pachy on Sandy, right? Yes, the adult sculpt that we have now is based off of a specimen that hasn't ever been formally described but has been 3D scanned and is usually referred to as Sandy.
0: Cool. Yeah, and Dracorex and Moloch are just fun to say, so that would be a good choice.
3: <laughs> yeah, they, they, for whatever reason, like, all the dinosaurs that get sunk in Hell Creek have the cool names. Yeah. You know, because, like, they've sunk mm-hmm. Uh They sank Tatancuseratops. What else have we sunk recently?
4: I mean, not Manus- recently, but Ma- Manospondylus kind of sucks as a name.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of these ones that have kind of cool names. Oh, there were two growth stages of Tyrannosaurus that were at one time called Dinotyranus and Venator, And both of those are gone, too. So, you know, Wasn't Dynamosaurus a thing, too? Yeah, Dynamosaurus almost was the official name of Tyrannosaurus if it wasn't for, for where it showed up in the publication. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was published after Tyrannosaurus, so dodge bullet there. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna
5: say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't have been as popular.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was Manospondylus, I don't think anybody would be talking about it today. <laughs> yeah, Manospondylus is awful. <laughs>
1: Just really quick, going back to the Dakota Raptor. So we saw one of your rewards is a paleo plushie by Rebecca Groom. And I looked her up. She's an artist who sells soft sculptures of dinosaurs on Etsy. And we saw a picture of the plushie. And we're like, oh my god, that's amazing. How did you end up teaming up with her?
3: (laughs) I've actually kind of casually known Rebecca for a couple years. She and I kind of frequent some of the same like paleo chat groups and skype groups and stuff like that and when we were thinking about kickstarter rewards it was literally like hey she does plushies she did a bunch of like velociraptor plushies about a year and a half ago she actually kickstarted having them produced and she'll do like small batches of plushies periodically of all sorts of stuff i think the last one she did was like of tiktolic which is that really early tetrapod like fish you could say oh yeah yeah so I just literally just said, hey, Rebecca, you want to make some Dakota Raptors? I know you've made <laughs> others before. And she was like, she was really excited. She's really into doing this. And she's she's been a really big backer and supporter of Sorian and the concept behind it for a long time. So it's just kind of, you know, asking your friends to see if they want to do anything to help you out. And it's unfortunate that she only really has the ability to make six of them because I know everybody wants them. And it's mm-hmm. it's. It's really a matter of it's not that she couldn't make more. I want it's just one. Said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not that she couldn't make more. She just said, I don't want to have people waiting like a year and a half to get a plush because that's probably how long it's going to take her to make some of these. So. Mm-hmm. That's what Kickstarter
0: is all about. It's okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. She's, she's really enjoyed it. She's actually just finished the prototype and she's going to send it to RJ so he can get some pictures of it in like an actual redwood forest. Oh, you have nice. no idea how hard he was pushing uh for getting
4: the prototype, by the way. <laughs>
2: yeah, every other day.
4: Yeah, every other day he's like, you know, if, if we need, like I could buy it and like, you know, like take a picture of it in the woods near my house. Like if we need. <laughs> every other day. <laughs> like he's doing us a favor or something. Of
6: course, of course. <laughs> I mean he's gonna take one for the team, really.
4: <laughs> yeah. Don't worry guys, I got this. You know, if you guys need, I can take a picture of one of those Dakota Raptor claws, like, any time, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I was going to say, you you guys have a lot of really cool friends who are related to dinosaurs, because, well, obviously you've got all the connections with the the paleontologists and stuff. Yeah,
0: and that paleo art
4: is really good, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you.
6: Dinosaurs brought us together. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool thing about them.
4: <laughs> I mean, yeah, the paleontologist thing took a little bit of time because uh, we kind of had to build a reputation for that. But
3: and That's, that's actually been one of the, the things that's been most gratifying about this is that the way that you can communicate with somebody. Like we've had paleontologists start coming to us and say, you know, we might be interested in contacting you guys for, you know, illustrations for scientific papers or even like commissioning animations and that's that's really really cool from our perspective just because you actually get to work with people who, who are pushing science and knowledge forward
1: yeah that's awesome have you had a lot of people like artists contacting you lately saying like hey can I help you out
3: <laughs> I've been in
5: the uh, video game industry a while and when they f- saw that I was leaving my high status job to work with these these maniacs that were all about <laughs> dinosaurs they they were pitying me. And then they saw like how well the Kickstarter w- was doing, and all of a sudden I'm getting like, "Hey, do you guys need an extra artist?" Or-? <laughs> <laughs> no, go. <No! laughs>
3: I think I think I think the most the most requested position has got to be for composer. I have probably had a dozen different people offer to like compose music for Sorian. and it, it's it's hard because Francisco does such a fantastic job. Francisco is our sound designer and composer. He's basically created all the dinosaur sounds, and he's also now handling uh, the soundtrack. And you can hear a little bit of his work in the Kickstarter trailer, but we did post to our website like the first sample of one of the tracks that's going to be used in the game. And he's just a phenomenal composer and sound designer. And it's it's you feel bad turning people down, but at the same time, it's like we have a fantastic person working on the team already. And he's around all the time francisco's just like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that do you need anything now i'm bored i'm gonna go record a bunch of sounds and then turn them into things you can use in the game
1: that's awesome
3: he actually uh henry actually contributed to the uh soundtrack as well oh yeah for what yeah i played some violin
2: uh, made some got some violin samples and sent them over to our sound designer cisco or chico who used them to make a dope track cool nice
1: I wanted to ask, I was gonna ask you about the soundtrack, but also, who's writing your Hell Creek Field Guide to the World of Saurian?
3: The Hell Creek Field Guide is a little bit of a collaborative work between Tom Parker and I. Don't remember if Tom was in the interview last time or not, but Tom, in addition to handling a bunch of the research behind the game, is also one of our primary map designers. And sort of on the side, he also is working on writing this guidebook along with myself and a couple others. And That's been a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to that coming together. But I think what's most cool about that is just how many extraordinarily talented people have been willing to jump on board and just provide us a piece or two of their own art based on Saurian concepts. And I think that's what's really going to make the book shine is that you have some really, really talented people who are involved with it.
1: That's awesome. So now for my Jerry question. (laughs) What? if you know cuz i know Brian's not on this call but uh how's he doing and do you are you going to have to pluck feathers out for your backers or have you guys or has <laughs> Brian i guess slowly been collecting them over time
3: <laughs> Jerry's doing all right last i heard he's uh <laughs> i haven't i haven't seen him on Jerry cam recently but i know that Brian is an excellent emu master so <laughs> And basically, one of the one of the things that we've hoped we've stipulated well in the Kickstarter is that all of all of the feathers that Jerry will be sending people are ones that he's naturally molded. They're just ones that Brian has collected and been collecting for probably six months now. He said he's got something like a huge plastic bag of them that we're, we're ready to send off when the time comes. So, and it's one of the things that I've really liked about the Kickstarter and our fans is just like how many people are just stoked about jerry or like seeing jerry like like i think anytime brian streams there are people who ask about him (laughs) multiple times over and over again so
0: yeah i saw you added extra jerry feathers and we were thinking like how are they going to get 250 of these feathers but (laughs) it makes
4: more sense that they've been collected over a long period of time
1: (laughs) you're anticipating it
4: (laughs) yeah the secret truth is that we just hang him upside down (laughs) shake him (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's on a rack somewhere <laughs> Brian's drumming oh. his fingers together underneath him
3: <laughs> oh Jake
1: so how close is the game to being ready now
3: we have a lot of work ahead of us we'll put it that way Jack Alejandra and Henry I think can speak better to this than I can so
6: we are much closer than we were nine months ago
3: yes this is true That's
6: something progress That's good.
4: We're much I mean, closer we got- than we were three years ago.
6: Yes, I think we're we're on a good track. We got a good outline of where we want to go, what we're gonna like, what we want to have for our first release for early access, and we're working towards that. So that's been helping out a lot.
3: I think the big thing too is that we finally have resources available to us that will make this development pick up pace of quite a bit.
6: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: I know this might be. Kind of a touchy subject, Henry. Sorry, I, but I want to ask about the AI. Like, now that you have funding, will you be able to start working on that again?
2: The learning AI? Mm-hmm. No, the reason that I stopped working on it wasn't because of funding. The reason was because it was an experimental architecture that was just too risky. I was trying a lot of new things to try and make it work with such an open-ended, open-world setting. And, yeah, it's, it's just I had no guarantee that it would work as opposed to traditional architectures, which... I do have a guarantee will work, and I know how they work already. Mm-hmm. So it, it was something that was done, you know, kind of conservatively for the safety of the project. You know, rather than taking a, a big uh, swing and, and taking the risk of missing, take a little swing and make sure that we hit it.
3: Which isn't to say that Henry doesn't want to go back and revisit it
2: someday. It should... <laughs> if I can, eventually, I absolutely will.
1: <laughs> awesome. Do you see Saurian as like once once it's out? Obviously, um, you know you've got to maintain it and stuff but do you see it having a lot of updates to correlate with whatever science you know un- uncovers in the future about the Hell Creek formation and specific dinosaurs
3: well my hope is that we've done a pretty good job up front about covering a lot of our bases just that you know one can hope that but that doesn't that's not a specific guarantee i, I think in the short term we can definitely sort of adapt and tweak to fit new things that are discovered expecting like a perpetual update on the Hell Creek formation is probably not realistic that at some point in time sorian will have to wind up being like a snapshot of what we knew about the Hell Creek formation circa 2016-17 ish so our hope is just that we've done a good enough job interpreting the data that it ages gracefully at a certain point
1: yeah well, it sounds like you have, at least from what we've seen. Yeah, and
0: all the uh, animations and stuff look great and
3: very realistic. Yeah, those are those are definitely uh, Brian's babies. He he spends a lot of time making sure they look right. Cool.
1: Otherwise, Jerry will get mad.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think the best part, and uh, uh, Garrett, you mentioned that Ankylosaurus is your favorite model so far. Uh, I think Jake probably spent the most time on that of any sculpt you've done for the game?
4: Yeah, probably. There was a lot yeah. of back and forth with uh, the paleontologists we were consulting
3: on that one. Well, And then there's also the fact that you did all the scales by hand.
1: Wow. How long did that take?
3: Uh, we did it all over the course
4: of a stream. Um,
1: <laughs> right, but your streams can be 24 hours. Yeah, so. <laughs> they can, they can be
4: a long time. It, yeah, I would say like average it takes me about 8, eight hours to make a model, so it yeah, it might have taken 16. <laughs> Who <Wow>. knows? <laughs> I mean, I it think, was a I lot of just listening to music and drawing one scale at a time.
3: The results definitely speak for itself, though, because that thing looks fantastic. It does. Know, it does. And we were working with Victoria Arbour. Um, she was exceedingly helpful with both uh, our Ankylosaurus and our Denverosaurus. and you know that model is probably the best representation of Ankylosaurus produced. And and I that sounds like it's, you know bragging, but I think I absolutely think that based on her uh feedback and Jake's skill. So
0: are there any specifics about it that you're really happy about or that you know are a little bit unique to it?
3: Some of it has to do with the fact that Victoria did share some data that is based on her own observations and she's seen more ankylosaurs with intact and preserved armor than just about anyone I can think of. And so she kind of lent some of her personal observations and even some a little bit of unpublished data to help us make this. And there's some different interpretations about armor arrangement in the model than has been frequently portrayed before. I think we, we wound up having to completely redo our first model because we based it off of an old publication that she said was, you know, couple things in here aren't aren't quite right and there's never there's never been a model that's come anywhere close to how precise this one is that i've ever seen at least
0: cool
1: yeah that is cool
0: precision and scientific accuracy usually isn't in the forefront of game development it's
3: usually more about is it scary enough or
6: yeah does it does it look cool
3: and to be perfectly honest People who say that haven't encountered a Tyrannosaur in the middle of the night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's like the
0: whole thing about not being scared by a T-Rex with feathers. It's like,
3: you really think if you
0: encountered a T-Rex with feathers, you'd be like, ah, it's just a little bird. I'll just stand here and not run away.
3: Yeah.
5: (laughs) I mean, anyone that's listened to the sound tests that we have up on YouTube of a T-Rex not even roaring, just sort of general communication between T-Rexes, just their... Their clearing of their throats, essentially, <laughs> sounds so terrifying that it makes the little monkey mammal
3: and you just, like, want to scurry under a rock. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. When we posted that, there was actually kind of an interesting discussion that came up on our YouTube comments of all places. And usually YouTube comments are, like, the worst place in the world to go and talk about something. Yeah. <laughs> somebody mentioned that they thought this sounded really really good in terms of like what we could reasonably expect a dinosaur to sound like but they went even further to say that we know that in cassowaries for example and emus as well that a lot of the a lot of the sound that they make is infrasound it's below the level that we can hear and its wavelengths are so long that you don't even hear them you feel them more than anything else like Brian has said before, that when Jerry, Jerry uh, emus make a sound that's sometimes called booming, and he said that you don't always hear an emu boom, but you can always feel them boom. Like you can literally feel it in your chest when they do it. Oh, jeez. And here's an animal that's, you know, 30 times the mass of an emu. <laughs> if this animal is communicating an in infrasound, the person pointed out that it's potentially possible that an animal that large making a loud enough sound could be like detrimental to your heartbeats.
1: Wow. <laughs> let
3: think about, think about like what a whale does when it makes low frequency sound. I've never been in the water with a whale, but I imagine that sounds pretty terrifying too. If you can feel it more than you can hear it. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also like just the idea of using a noise that isn't that exact noise that Jurassic Park made and everybody's
4: been using for a T Rex <laughs> since then. Yeah. Or some poor copy of it.
5: Yeah. yeah. I heard somewhere that a real T Rex can't roar like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it can't push that much air through its lungs like
3: that. So I think yeah. I think it's more a matter just that most Dinosaur sounds that people hear in cinema or in popular media are still based on mammal noises And you know mammals make noises in a different way than birds and uh, crocodilians do
0: Yeah, we talked about that T-Rex noise because we had some article where they talked about how they made it And I think it was a combination of a whale, a lion roar, a what else was thrown in there?
5: Sounds like a freight train (laughs) yeah.
0: <laughs> it was like all these things that they smushed together, kind of like Star Wars or something and just sound designed the craziest loudest noise they could come up with that had nothing yeah. to do with what a bird or a dinosaur. Turtles was. too. Oh yeah,
1: turtles. Turtles right. mating, I think. Yeah.
3: One of them. I oh god. oh yeah. god. Mating turtles. <laughs> sound, you gotta put on everything. Henry, you can leave now. <laughs> okay.
6: <laughs> no, Chico's been very good about not making them sound... Uh, like, popular culture makes you think they will sound.
5: Yeah,
0: that's great.
6: So what's been the biggest challenge for you guys up until now? Multiplayer!
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think think there's been a lot of, like, small challenges. I mean, the biggest one has just simply been lack of resources, I think. That, you know, people want to work more on it. We know we need to work more on it. There just hasn't been the ability to sort port the people who need to do that But i mean going going beyond that there's also i think a little aspect of learning that you have to let go that at some point you just have to let people see what you've done and be willing to share it with them even if you look at it and you can spot all these things that you don't necessarily like about it that you wish you could tweak further but it's just time so
1: yeah makes sense so i know you guys are probably really busy with all the kickstarter now but i guess as soon as that ends what's going to be the next like big thing to work on
3: alejandra
6: <laughs> the, game.
3: the game i was gonna say <laughs> this, is, this is your cue to yell multiplayer but oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs>
6: well, multiplayer multiplayer of course i will yell multiplayer until we actually have the build <laughs> that makes sense <laughs>
0: I'm hoping you get to the VR level because we have an Oculus Rift and playing as a dinosaur Ooh. sounds so
3: fun.
6: I'm hoping we get to it too, because I want an excuse to get an Oculus Rift.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Brian has a Vive and he's already played around with some of the animations he's made using the Vive. And he he has had really exciting results from it, I guess he's you could say. So we're excited about that prospect too. Cool.
0: I hope you make it. <laughs>
3: Cross your fingers. Yeah. And, you know, thank you to everybody who's pushed us this far. See how much farther we can go is, be, I guess, the best I could say about that. I guess one thing that I would report, too, is that we are definitely going to look to have at least one, probably two more live streams before the end of the Kickstarter. So definitely hope people are on the lookout for that. and We're excited. Subscribe to the Twitch. Yes.
1: Yes. Oh, I saw you're, you're also on Discord now, right?
3: Yes, we do have a Discord.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you guys are all crazy busy right now, but we're, we're excited we got to hear the updates. <laughs> Best of luck with the rest of Kickstarter. It was great catching up.
5: Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you for, for having our- us.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process.
0: Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com/slash investing in America. First in the news, we have an article that's all about how sauropods basically lived without having Issues like getting a stroke from not getting enough blood to their head. And it's titled neck length and mean arterial pressure in the sauropod dinosaurs. It was published in the Journal of Experimental Biology and written by S. Hughes and others. Like I said, the study's all about how you get blood up to your head when it's, you know, 20 to 30, 40 feet above the ground <laughs> with such a long neck. And in the abstract, They describe a few theories about how you could maybe get blood up to a sauropod head. One option is having an exceptionally large heart where you get huge blood pressure spikes and, you know, just big pump, get it up to the head. Another option is to have multiple normal, quote unquote, probably still pretty big, sized hearts at intervals within the neck. So it's like a series of little pumps up the neck. Another option is just to not lift your head ever, which we've kind of been seeing some evidence of recently in other papers that weren't really worried about the blood supply, but were more worried about the muscle attachments and whether or not the dinosaurs could even mechanically raise their head like that. And then the last option is use the blood that's returning to the heart to help siphon blood up towards the head, which is a pretty interesting idea. And that's really what this paper focused on, even though it kind of sounds the strangest. But they believe that if you use a siphon in a sauropod with similar blood pressure to a giraffe, which is actually quite high especially compared to something like a human, a sauropod could get its blood up to its head even if its neck was 12 meters or 39 feet long, which they say agrees with the longer necks in the fossil record. And I was checking around to see different sauropod neck lengths. And 39 feet turns out to be the exact length of the new titanosaur in the American Museum of Natural History. So it does match pretty well that if 39 feet is the maximum for siphoning blood and they think that's a limiting factor, well, pretty much the biggest sauropod we found has a neck that length. So pretty cool. And a neurobiologist not associated with the study wrote a nice summary of their work for the Huffington Post, which is nice because we couldn't get to the full articles behind a paywall. And he explains that they used a few equations to estimate the height that siphoning could get blood up a neck. And then they set up an experiment. Apparently, they set up a rig in a theater since it had a really high ceiling, which gave them the space they needed to mess around with sauropod dimensions. And they put red food coloring in water and then filled a pseudo sauropod neck. The neck assembly was basically just a tube in a loop with a pump at the bottom set to a giraffe's blood pressure. And then they got the siphon working by making sure there weren't any bubbles in it. And they managed to get blood, in air quotes, to the head as long as they didn't raise the top end higher than about 8 meters or 26 feet or they didn't raise the full apparatus higher than 12 meters or 39 feet. Sounds like fun. Yeah. (laughs) They recognized a few problems with the system, though. Siphoning actually puts a lot of pressure on the outside of the tube because siphoning is kind of drawing a vacuum on the way down. And this is a little bit different because it's a closed system where you're pressurizing one side and kind of depressurizing the other. But in any event... A typical blood vessel would collapse in this condition, and when they ran the experiment with a more flexible tube, it collapsed it and killed the siphon, so that wasn't working. They had to use a rigid tube. They did say that maybe in a sauropod neck, spinal, and other body fluids would have helped limit that pressure rise. It might have kind of kept things a little more stable and prevented the blood vessels in the neck from collapsing, but they didn't actually show that with their experiment. The bigger problem that they ran into is that when they lifted the rig, like the entire thing, to see how high above ground it would work, the top of the neck nucleated some bubbles, which would have given the sauropod a stroke.
1: Oh, no. stroke
0: <laughs> Yeah. They actually said that it boiled at the top, but I I think what they mean is it was more like getting the bends where the dissolved oxygen met a low pressure at the top from that siphoning effect and then the bubbles popped out. But in any event, you've got bubbles in the brain and that's going to cause a blockage and blood to not flow and then you've got, you know, brain damage. And in their case, it was kind of funny too because they literally had this huge rig full of fake blood And when they lifted it up, the pipe actually broke, and then it quote, drenched the stage with puddles of fake dino blood.
1: (laughs) No, you could attract a fake T Rex that way.
0: (laughs) You could. I'm a little skeptical about these conclusions at all, since blood isn't just water, and it sheer thins, which means if you apply force to it it actually changes the viscosity of it, which seems like it could impact a siphon, and I couldn't find any real studies about siphoning blood there were a couple theories about giraffes using the same technique and they disproved it just by looking at the actual giraffe biology there wasn't anybody that I could find that actually tried to siphon blood because you know you can just look at if animals do it you don't actually have to set up a weird tube system with a pump to test it in modern animals The other thing is I wonder about the impact of all the other branches that come off of this main pipeline to and from the head. Since they just had a simple loop, it's a lot different than the way blood actually is where it disperses into muscle tissue and the brain and things like that before it comes back down. And I wonder if that would have an impact on the siphoning or if the siphoning would cause complications like maybe on... The way back, it would be pulling out too much blood or something. I don't know. But the research was really all just about the limits. And they weren't looking to say all sauropods held their necks upright because we showed that it's possible. They were really just looking to see if you could use siphoning as a tool to get blood to a sauropod's head. And maybe you wouldn't need this enormous heart or a series of hearts or one of these other strange configurations in order to get blood up to the sauropod head head. And they did show pretty effectively that siphoning might have helped lower the blood pressure without having a huge heart. The other thing that I kind of mentioned already is that there are other studies that show that a lot of sauropods probably had a more horizontal neck just based on the vertebrae and the muscle and tendon attachment points in the neck. So this is just kind of a piece of it. But it's definitely a really cool study. I love that they actually performed an experiment to validate their hypothesis that's often incredibly difficult to do in paleontology, so it's cool that they came up with a method to test this. And I like that their limits do seem to line up a little bit with the paleontological record. I'll be interested to see if there are any responses to this paper, especially from scientists who may have done research on the giraffes or other animals and may know a little bit more about how blood circulates in animals, but we'll have to wait and see.
1: Next, scientists have found new dinosaur tracks in Mexico. There's not much to say about them yet. So far, 40 tracks have been found, and they think the tracks belong to a dinosaur that lived 72 million years ago, so it'll be interesting when they have more of an update to hear about what kind of dinosaur it was.
0: Yeah, I really like the track sites because they give you a little bit of insight into how they moved and maybe how many of them there were around at a time, and maybe which dinosaurs were interacting There were a few people that got caught stealing a dinosaur lawn ornament and some other things from the Berry Barn in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada. It looks like an actual barn that serves food and has a nursery, meaning a plant nursery, and apparently some dinosaur lawn ornaments that is all for sale. Interesting place. Luckily, the thieves were caught by a local police plane. According to SPS Air Support Unit, at SPS Air One on Twitter. Quote, A quick search of Valley Road by at SPS Air One lands four in jail. Nobody steals from at the Berry Barn YXE. We love it there.
1: <laughs> we had a cool comment from somebody when we posted this on Facebook. So Gary wrote, Thieves, do you think anyone saw us?
0: <laughs> That's a solid joke. It is. I really like that this. Air Patrol in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan has like a snarky Twitter page. Yeah. When I went there, there was a video of a criminal running away that they had posted of like the infrared, where you could see the guy in the night, and he was like, "Look, we we could see him running," and they had this little commentary about it. It It's kind of funny. There's also a pub in Bristol in the UK, and it had an awesome dinosaur mural on its side but the mural was apparently accidentally painted over. Luckily, a local artist repainted them, and they look great. It looks sort of like a Diablo Ceratops and maybe a Giraffe Titan, but they're both very stylized, and they have lots of really colorful scales, and they stand out really well on the side of the building, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, they're really pretty. I think the local artist who repainted them was also the original artist.
0: Oh, cool. Apparently, the repainting only took about 16 hours. And that makes me think our house is white and we've got a side we could fit some dinosaurs on.
1: Scream out to the neighborhood, we like dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I think it would be cool. We need some more art in our neighborhood. (laughs) It's too bad we're so far from Bristol. Otherwise, maybe we could get this guy to do it.
1: Maybe. Next in Dixon, California, off the I-80... There's a 14-foot-tall brontosaurus skeleton in cool patch pumpkins. The dinosaur has no name, but the tail and the neck are made from caterpillar tractor tracks. The ribs are car springs, and the head is made of dual oil pans. And at night, the dinosaur lights up. Matt Cooley, who owns the pumpkin patch, said originally the dinosaur was going to be a seasonal thing, but now it's year-round. And apparently the bright lights on the dinosaur at night make it look like it's breathing fire. Alan Clark is the artist who created the skeleton, and he's made a few dinosaur skeletons, and he ran out of space in his own area, so he sold the brontosaurus skeleton for $5,000. He originally was asking for 15000 And Matt Cooley had wanted to put more dinosaur skeletons in the pumpkin patch, but the brontosaurus was the only one left when Alan Clark lowered his prices, which is understandable. I might have wanted one as well.
0: Yeah. Sounds cool.
1: Yeah. So Alan built his first dinosaur skeleton one year before Jurassic Park, and it was a small-scale model of a T-Rex, and it took him 13 hours to make. He calls it Artosaurus, but it wasn't completely accurate. So then he decided he wanted all his skeletons to be accurate from now on, and his next T-Rex took 30 hours to build, and the Brontosaurus took 50 hours to make. And Alan next plans to build more dinosaurs. And one of his ideas is to make a barbershop quartet where automated dinosaurs sing.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. Mm -hmm. I like that he's trying to make them accurate. Usually with these artistic, especially the outdoor kind of installation-y type things, they just kind of go for whatever looks cool. So it's nice to make them accurate.
1: Yeah. Next in New Zealand, a man named Don Patterson has turned the Omaru Railway Station, which was built in 1900, into Omaru Prehistoric World. There are two small theaters that play short animated dinosaur movies, a rock collection from Antarctica, and an art gallery. Don also worked with animator and painter Jack Grenfell to create animation and visual effects, putting dinosaurs on the theater walls. And the plan is to expand that art and incorporate 3D headsets. So that's pretty cool. Turn a train station into a dinosaur theater... And more.
0: Yeah. Whenever I was a kid and I would see places like a train station or a school or something for sale, I would imagine like, what could you do with that huge space? That's pretty good use. Yep. Speaking of big dinosaur spaces, the Dinosaur State Park and Arboretum in Rocky Hill, Connecticut, had a Connecticut open house day to celebrate its 50th anniversary on Saturday, June 11th. And they're actually doing events all year. We might have even mentioned one earlier, but you may notice June 11th is before this podcast aired. But we did post it on Twitter and Facebook before this. So if you want to get notifications about events before they happen, you should follow us there because it's really hard to talk about it on the podcast, edit it, and post it in the cycle before the events happen because a lot of times you don't find out till a couple days before. And it's I Know Dino on Facebook or at InoDino on Twitter if you want to join in the fun. But anyway, the Dinosaur State Park has one of the largest North American dinosaur track sites. And they're enclosed under a big dome, so they're kind of protected from the elements. The open house was free and it had feature films, animal programs, nature walks, dinosaur track casting, and a Lego building contest. So sounds like a pretty cool event. The dinosaur track casting is interesting to me because we just talked about another dinosaur track site that bans the practice due to potential damage, but I guess since this one is supervised, maybe it's less damaging? I don't know. If you want to make a cast, you need to bring 10 pounds of plaster (laughs) of Paris and a quarter cup of cooking oil, and you're limited to one cast per family or group.
1: That sounds to me a little bit like Tom Sawyer getting his friends to paint the fence white. Hey guys, this looks like a lot of fun. If only you could have so much fun. Bring your own plaster. Plaster this.
0: But you get to keep it at the end.
1: Oh, okay. That's, so that's pretty then. cool. That is.
0: I don't really know what you'd do with it. I guess it'd be kind of cool to have a cast of. I'm even imagining we're big dinosaur fans, but like, where would you put a huge the backyard plaster print i guess you could like or the stamp front it yard. yeah you could like use it as a stamp and make footprints that could be kind of cool mhm anyway <laughs> getting sidetracked <laughs> the lego build contest also had three age groups and lasted for 4 hours and legos were provided but the builders didn't get to keep their creations
1: that's too bad yeah hope they took lots of pictures
0: yeah i'm sure in 4 hours You could probably make a pretty awesome one. I wondered how many Legos they had available. You know what I mean? Like, is it like the Lego store where they have those huge tubs of tons of different types? Or was it like everybody gets 100 pieces or something?
1: I don't know. Next, the Revolution Ice Center in Jenkins Township, Pennsylvania had dinosaurs on exhibit with replicas of dinosaurs and fossils. And kids could dig for bones. The event was hosted by T-Rex Planet, which is a touring exhibit of animatronic dinosaurs. I wonder if they had any dinosaurs on their ice rink. That would have been interesting.
0: It can be done.
1: Yeah. And in Mantua Township in New Jersey, fourth graders have come together to ask the township committee members for a sign that commemorates Dryptosaurus aquilunglius. The dinosaur is related to T-Rex and was found in 1866, 150 years ago. The kids were part of a fossil dig earlier in the year at Rowan University's Fossil Park, and some of the kids now think that Dryptosaurus should be the state dinosaur.
0: I don't know if New Jersey has a state dinosaur.
1: I don't know either, but I really love that this class came together to do this.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: And next, in the UK in Truro, a young T-Rex escaped from its puppet show at Dinosaur Zoo and rampaged in the street. There's a video, which we'll post on our blog, and you can see in it a lot of people are gathered around this T-Rex, which is thrashing and hitting people with its tail. It doesn't care. So some <laughs> parents had to actually shield their children from it. It's so one woman kind of knocking the tail away. Wow. Well, it's a baby in the other hand.
0: <laughs> Parenting. Yeah. <laughs> T-Rex doesn't care. Nope. There's a funny video of someone in one of those inflatable T-Rex costumes chasing an SUV painted like the ones in the original Jurassic Park, the kind that got the top smushed in by the T-Rex, the green and yellowy, quote unquote electric, I guess, ones. It's pretty funny, especially when the T-Rex gets tired and has to take a break while chasing the car. And then at the end, which is pretty shortly thereafter, the T-Rex high fives an onlooker because they just did this on a public street and in a public parking lot.
1: Yeah, the car parks.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny. There's also a video on YouTube of somebody giving their grandma Samsung Gear VR to watch Jurassic Park in virtual reality, and it gets a little too intense for the grandma. At first, everyone is laughing While she's freaking out a little bit. But then someone sounds like they get a little worried. And tell her to take it off. And she takes it off. And then after looking a little disheveled. She starts laughing pretty hard too. (laughs) Yeah. So it's always funny when people try VR for the first time. Because it's a little bit unsettling. Mm -hmm. There's one part of the Oculus Rift intro video. Where you're on the edge of a building. Like you're about to jump off or something. And you can step forward as close to the edge as you want to but it's amazing how you really don't want to because it's so realistic i've also heard that if you get the 3d version of any of the movies that are in 3d i guess especially jurassic world i've heard this about that you can watch them in 3d in a vr headset and even though it's not fully immersive like most vr stuff it's a pretty cool experience but we only have the regular blu-ray not the 3d version of jurassic world so i'm just taking other people's word for it But why would they lie to
1: us?
0: (laughs) The internet never lies.
1: about dinosaurs?
0: (laughs) That's mostly true. (laughs) Speaking of VR, there's another new VR game that will be coming out for the HTC Vive called Island 359, which is basically like you trying to survive in the first Jurassic Park after the dinosaurs escape, from what I can tell. It's still a little way off from release. They haven't even released a video trailer, just a few screenshots. But it looks just like Jurassic Park with dinosaurs breaking out, destroying vehicles, trying to eat people. You kind of know how it goes. (laughs) They say that they'll be releasing it in the form of early access on Steam this summer, which seems pretty soon considering they haven't even made a video of the game content. But who knows?
1: Can you imagine that grandma's reaction?
0: I can. (laughs) I think it would probably be pretty similar. Although maybe now she's a grizzled VR veteran and it wouldn't throw her off.
1: But you would also have more control this way. That's true.
0: And this game, too, they say, like, you'll have weapons and you'll be shooting at them, so it's not as cool as Saurian.
1: Hmm. On a tamer note, for kids who love dinosaurs, the HuffPost Teen recommends watching Dino Dan Dino Babies. It's a DVD collection where Trek Henderson, a junior dinosaur expert, imagines what baby dinosaurs would look like in his backyard. And there's a lot of CGI dinosaurs, and some of the dinosaurs include Edmontosaurus, Triceratops, Brachiosaurus, and Spinosaurus, which I imagine looks pretty cute as babies.
0: Yeah, everybody loves baby dinosaurs.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Next, Sputnik News shared a video of a cat dressed in a dinosaur outfit that did not want to be in that dinosaur outfit. The cat's name is Oscar, and this short video shows the cat walking backwards and rolling over, looking pretty defeated in his green costume. It kind of looked like the footage was backwards. I couldn't completely tell, but Hmm. it would be funnier if the cat was actually walking backwards, trying to get out of the dinosaur costume.
0: Yeah, it probably was.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And a Labrador puppy is making his rounds around the internet as a cute kind of T-Rex puppy. After his owners posted a picture of him standing in a pool. So the puppy has his front legs held close to his chest. And the water magnifies his hind legs to make them look much larger. So they look kind of like T-Rex legs. And then his arms look extra small. So he's got a little (laughs) T-Rex pose going on.
0: That's funny.
1: Labrosaurus. And last, there's more rumors about Jurassic World 2. There is a possibility that there will be experts experimenting on small dinosaurs that can be domesticated as pets, and also the dinosaurs will be all over the world, and there might be a lot of hybrid dinosaurs.
0: So it kind of agrees with things we've been thinking since the original Jurassic World closing scene.
1: Yeah, exactly. Still two years away, though.
0: Yeah.
1: And now for our dinosaur of the day, Siddipati, which was a request from Jill via Patreon, so thanks, Jill. It was an overraptorid theropod that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Mongolia, and its name means Funeral Pyre Lord. In Tibetan Buddhist folklore, Siddipati were two monks who were in a deep trance when a thief beheaded them, and so Siddipati are usually shown as a pair of dancing skeletons surrounded by a flame. It was described in 2001 by James M. Clark, Mark Norrell, and Rinchen Barsbold. In a 2001 paper called Two New Oviraptorids, Theropod, Oviraptorosauria, Upper Cretaceous, Jadokta Formation, Ukatogod, Mongolia. Apologies if I butchered that name. The type species is Sidipati osmolske, and the species name is in honor of Halska osmolska, a paleontologist known for Oviraptorids and Mongolian theropods. It was found in the Gobi Desert, and many well-preserved skeletons were found, and some were found brooding on top of nests. The holotype is of a nearly complete skeleton, and there may be a second species, but it is unnamed. It's one of the larger Oviraptorids, though not as large as Gigantoraptor, which was named in 2007. It was about 10 feet or 3 meters long, it had a long neck and short tail, it had a short skull with lots of openings in the bone structure, and it had a toothless beak and a tall crest, similar to a cassowary's. It's very similar to Oviraptor, which we discussed in episode 78, and often the two are confused. In 1981, a large Oviraptor with a distinct crest was called Oviraptor, but has been tentatively reclassified as a second species of city potty. And it has the large, tall head crest like a cassowary, which is taller than other city potty crests. This skeleton was so well-known, it was often depicted as Oviraptor, especially since the Oviraptor holotype had a crushed skull, so it's unclear exactly what it looked like. Four city potty specimens have been found in brooding positions on top of egg clutches, and one has the nickname Big Mama. It was described in 1999 and referred to as city potty in 2001. It's possible that city potty had feathers on its forelimbs. The position suggests that the feathers would help cover the nest with its arms and legs spread out on each side of the nest. Modern birds assume a similar posture, which further links birds and theropod dinosaurs. And the discovery of city potties brooding changed the way that scientists thought about overwrapped especially in 1993 when they found a city potty embryo inside an egg that was thought to be a protoceratops. So instead of being egg thieves, this group shows that they cared for their young. And many city potty eggs have been found. These eggs are oval-shaped, and they were arranged in concentric circles of up to three layers. Clutches may have had as many as 22 eggs. And the eggs are 7 inches or 18 centimeters long. In the same nest where scientists found the city potty embryo, they also found two skulls of embryonic Byronosaurus, a Trudontid, which means the city potty may have either preyed on them, or maybe an adult Byronosaurus laid eggs in the city potty nest so that city potty would raise them.
4: Sneaky.
1: Yeah, it's known as nest parasitism. Oviraptorids lived in the Cretaceous in Mongolia, and North America, and they used to be considered ornithomimids, but now they're part of Manoraptora. They're generally small with short skulls, toothless jaws, and crests on the skull, and they had feathers. Compared to other Manoraptorans, they have short tails.
0: And our fun fact of the day is that there have been over 300 animal taxa named after Charles Darwin, including at least two dinosaurs. One, the Demandosaurus darwini, was discovered in Spain and named in 2011, and it's a diplodicoid sauropod from the Cretaceous. The Darwinsaurus evolutionus, pretty clever name there, was named in 2012 after being referred to by different names several times, all the way back since the 1800s when it was originally found. But maybe a nomen dubium for another iguanodont or hadrosaurid. And it's also from the early Cretaceous.
1: And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening.
0: And if you want to get news before it already passes for events, you should follow us on Twitter or Facebook so that you don't have to wait for recordings that take a while to edit and then the event's already gone.
1: Yeah. Until next time.